Thank you to Tony Sauls uh, for preaching in my absence last week, and, and uh, he got to launch the quiz. And so hopefully when you came in this morning, you got your quiz for this week on the scriptures. I'm going to give you a few minutes. Go ahead and take that quiz. I told Tony this morning, it's a good thing he's doing these and not I, not me. He went easy on y'all. So uh, um, go ahead and give, I'm going to give you a few minutes and take. It's only six questions. Take your quiz and uh, I'll, I'll go over the answers in just a minute. There should be a pen in the pew in front of you if you need a pen. I think the betting courts think this is like a family exercise down here. I'm teasing. <laughs> David was cheating. David was cheating. Yeah, exactly. Everybody done? Just six questions. True, false. You got 50-50 odds. 50-50 odds. He could have gone multiple choice. I always liked the multiple choice that had like all the above, none of the above. That was a killer. Like it, it eliminated the theory that the answer was there somewhere. So uh, let me go over these real quick. Number one, the church stands under the authority of Scripture and its teachings are to be judged by Scripture. True or false? True. True. The church is ruled, the church, again, the church is ruled by God and so it's ruled by God's word in Scripture. If you were to go to the Westminster Confession of Faith, it says, The supreme judge by which all controversies of religion are to be determined and all decrees of counsels, opinions of ancient writers, doctrines of men, and private spirits are to be examined, and in whose sentence we are to rest can be no other but the Holy Spirit speaking in the Scripture. True. We stand under the authority of Scripture. Number two, to disobey the Scripture is to disobey God. True or false? True. When we obey the Scriptures, we're obeying God because the Scripture is God Himself speaking, as we will see today. When we disobey, when we disobey Scripture, we're disobeying God Himself. Number three, to disbelieve the Scripture is to disbelieve God. True or false? True. L listen to what 1 Thessalonians 4, 8 says. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives the Holy Spirit to you. To, to not believe what the Scripture says is to not believe God Himself. Four, God communicated the words of the Bible to human authors without error. True or false? True. Titus 1-2. In the hope, it says, in the hope, um, I can't find it again, in the hope of eternal life which God, who cannot lie, promised ages, long ages ago. God is, a, God is true. He's a promise keeper. We'll, we'll see today the scriptures originated with God. God is perfect without error. And therefore, everything that flows out of him is perfect without error. Number five, the words in scripture that are spoken by Jesus, the red letters, carry more authority than the other words of scripture. True or false? Easy. Yeah, false. False. Uh, all Scripture is God speaking. 
Acts. Therefore, all Scripture has ultimate authority. The words of Jesus carry no more authority than, than the rest of, that, of the Scriptures because God has spoken them all to us. Six, Scripture tells me everything I need to know to live a life pleasing to God. True or false? Yeah, we'll see today in 2 Timothy 3.16 that it, all Scriptures God breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. All right, hopefully you got a hundred on that. And uh, so today we are talking about the Word. And this past week we were on vacation and I was reminded of just the importance of the Word. I, I had the chance to... We, we've been going to the same place every year with, with Barbara and Jimmy and his family for about 12 years. And you see the same people. It's a, it's a timeshare deal. And I, I don't do good necessarily with... I, I, I need activity. I need to do stuff. And um, just the opportunity to share the gospel with five or six people this week. And it was just a reminder of the importance of God's Word. You know, even yesterday coming home, uh, we were behind a car, and it had a, it had a bumper sticker, and one bumper, it had multiple bumper stickers, but one of them said, Jesus Freak, which that's cool. I got that. That's good. DC Talk. But then right next to it, it said, Coexist. I'm like, like what, what, how does that work? Because John 14, 6 says that, no one comes to the Father but through Christ. So, so Karen, you know, she's like talking me off the ledge. Like, I want to follow the person. I want to ask them a question. We were both turning into public. So I'm like, well, let's park next to them. I can strike up a conversation with anybody. Like, how did this work? And Karen's like, Chris, it might mean something different than what you think. I'm like, okay, whatever. I'm tired. Let's just go. We'll leave them alone. But the, the authority of the Scriptures. You know, how, how, could I, how could I have the audacity to speak to somebody about sin apart from the authority of this word. When I, when I spoke with these individuals down at the beach, I mean, I, I spoke with authority. Hopefully I did it gentle with gentleness and with kindness, but I could have authority in speaking to sin. I could have authority in speaking to the gospel. I could have authority with regards to the person and the character of God. Why? Because the scriptures. Because they're true. Because every single word contained in them is true. And, and, and why, why, are, why do we believe, when a, when a Jehovah's Witness comes to my door and they want to engage in conversation, I'll take them to John 5 and show them that Jesus is equal with the Father. That's why they killed him. He was claiming equality with the Father. He's not less deity. He's, he's not not deity. He's full deity. Colossians 2.89 says, In him the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Why, why can I speak that with confidence? Because of the Scriptures. Why, 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 is, why would we say that Mormonism is, is errant? Because of the Scriptures. Islam, all these things. Why are, why are they false religions? Why do we say that with authority? Because of the Scriptures. The Scriptures provide us the plumb line for truth by which we are to judge everything else. 2 Corinthians 10 says, taking every thought captive to the obedience of the Word of God. Every single thought you have about yourself, about someone else, about God, about anything, take it back to the Word of God and you judge it based on the plumb line of the Word of God. Why is sin sin? Because it deviates 
from God's commands and will for us, and, it, and it's spoken to in the Word. God says it's sin. It's a plumb line. It's a measure. It tells us what's square, what's straight. So today I, wanna, I want us to walk out of here with an unwavering, high, high view of the Scriptures. It's authority, it's sufficiency, it's inspiration, it's inerrancy. That, that it would have a supreme, exalted place in our lives. To, to the point that we could not neglect it. We can't, we can't go without it. We can't, we can't ignore it. And, and the reality is, is we, we cannot have a lesser view of Scripture than God Himself and specifically Jesus Christ had. And that's what I want to show us today. High view of Scripture. Our whole eternal destiny is based on whether this is right or wrong. Whole life is based on whether this is right or wrong. I've staked everything. Many of you in this room who are believers, you've staked everything on whether this is right or wrong. Well, whatever it is. Everything. How, how we seek to build our lives, why, repentance, all of that is built on, is this word true or not? And listen, we can't say that we believe this word is true. We can't say all these things and then neglect it. You can't do that. To neglect it is to, is to have a lesser view of Scripture than what, God, than what God and Jesus Christ had. To neglect it is to essentially say, you know what, I'm going to sit in judgment on the Word. I'm going to live life, I'm going to do it how I want to do it. That, that's the challenge. So what I want today, I want to give us a high view of Scripture. We'll see from Matthew 4, man does not live on bread alone by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And there's a whole history that, that Jesus speaks to when he mentions that verse in Matthew 4, 4. And I want to eventually, hopefully we'll have time to get to there today. But let's, let's jump in on your handout. First of all, I want to see the authority of Scripture. The authority of Scripture. I want us to see today the all-sufficient word. The authority of Scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16 All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped, adequate, equipped for every good work. Right there in that passage, where does it say that all Scripture is ultimately sourced? God. All Scripture. God. Scripture, scripture is God revealing God. Who, who would be a greater authority than God to reveal himself? God. This isn't man conjuring up his best thoughts of who he thinks God might be. This is God revealing God. There's no greater authority on God than God. Again, it's not me. You know what I think? You know, I look out here and I think this about God. No, God told you exactly what to think about him. And even what we have here, we'll spend the rest of eternity learning about God. Paul says in the end of chapter 11 of Romans... That, that he's unsearchable, that he's unfathomable. It's authoritative because all Scripture is sourced in God. The word there literally is theonoustos, theo, God, noustos being breathed. Literally, it means God breathed. The only point in Scripture that you see that word there is right here in 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is God breathed. It is sourced 
in God. Listen, on your handout, Scripture is the revelation of God Himself. You have to see it that way. This isn't man attempting to, to guess, to, to posture what they think God is like, who they think He's like. God is revealing Himself. God breathed, literally out of God. He is unveiling Himself. He is revealing Himself to the world. That's the Scriptures. You see on your handout, all Scripture is sourced in God, and therefore it carries authority. And, and the Bible, and uh, listen, when you read the Word of God, the, the, off, the writers, they knew that. Over 3,800 times, you'll see God said, the Lord said. The, the writers of Scripture knew this is not our own. We're not coming up with this on our own. God is speaking through us. Listen, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 37, If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. Paul said that. You go to 2 Peter 1, we'll go there later. No prophecy of Scripture came about by man's own interpretation, but men moved by the Spirit spoke. This is God revealing Himself. 1 John 4, 6 says the same thing. This is God revealing Himself. Jeremiah 2, 1 says, Now the word of the Lord came to me. And these men suffered great harm, great trial. Why? Because what they were writing were Scripture. These were not their own words. And what Scripture puts forth, two different ways, two ways the Scriptures reveal how God revealed Himself. General revelation, you see on your handout A there, general revelation. If you were to go to Psalm 19, you would see that. If you were to go to Romans 1, you will see that. God has revealed Himself in, through what He has made. Listen to Romans 1, 18-21. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but became futile in their speculation and their foolish heart was darkened. Listen, people who the Proverbs all throughout the Bible says, the fool says in his heart there is no God. Why? Because God has made it abundantly clear to all of us. Inside of us, outside of us, there's one true God. And what do we do? Men and women suppress that truth and unrighteousness. The truth is there. We simply suppress it. We ignore it. You go on reading in Romans 1, it says, Why did God do what He did? Because they, never, they did not acknowledge God, nor did they see fit to give thanks to God. So, so God has generally revealed himself and again general truths about god can be known through creation but that's not the only way it's not even the best way the set, the other way that god revealed himself is special revelation and this is through christ and the word listen to john 1 verse 14 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory glory as the only begotten from the father full of grace and truth John testified about him and cried out, saying, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For, all, for of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Listen to verse 18. 
No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. Jesus Christ gives us a, a full, rich picture of God. Hebrews, listen to Hebrews 1.3. And He, talking about Jesus, is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature and upholds all things by the power of His Word. Look, you want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. Look at His Word. God is most clearly, you see it on your handout, revealed through Christ, and this revelation is recorded in Scripture. But ultimately, the authority is why? Because God is the source. This is God revealing God. Therefore, it carries authority. But not only the the authority of Scripture, and again, all Scripture God breathed, not just the New Testament, not, not, just the, not just the red letters, not, not just the, the ones that we like. No, no, those ones back in the Old Testament that are stuck together in your Bible and those, those tough ones, they're, they're inspired. All Scripture. But, but not only the authority of Scripture, we need to see the inspiration of Scripture. So, okay, so God has, these are building. God has revealed himself. It makes sense if God has revealed himself, then, then it would make sense that God would make sure that the record of that revelation would be accurate. And that's where inspiration comes in. Inspiration is necessary to preserve the revelation that God has offered of himself. Because if God reveals himself and men, and men don't record it accurately, what's the point in the revelation? It needs to be recorded accurately, and that's where inspiration comes in. It guarantees the accuracy of the revelation. And you'll see on your handout uh, uh, a definition of inspiration. Inspiration may be defined as the Holy Spirit's superintending. The word there is superintending over the writers so that while writing according to their own styles and personalities, the result was God's written word, authoritative, trustworthy, free from error in the original autographs. So God is superintending, he's hovering over, he's guiding the writers to write what he wants them to write as he reveals himself. And this is clearly seen in 2 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. We, we were at the, the beach this past week, and, and at the place we're at, you can, they have these little Hobie, Hobie crafts, I guess they're called, little mini sailboats. I don't know what I'm doing, so I stay off of them. Never mind the fact that I saw about three of them capsized out there, and I don't want to be that guy. But you go out there, and listen, where, that sailboat goes wherever the wind takes it. They put up their sail, and, and certainly, the, but again, if they have a rudder that helps. Forget that. But if you're out there in a sailboat and you put up the sails, guess where that sailboat goes? The sailboat goes wherever the wind takes it. That's literally the picture here in verse 21. No prophecy of Scripture was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved. The word there literally means to be moved like wind. The Holy Spirit is moving men along as He intends. They weren't guessing. They weren't conjuring up their own thoughts. They weren't looking for popular opinions. Literally, God is revealing himself to man, 
And, and the Holy Spirit is guaranteeing that that record is done properly and is recorded properly and accurately. That's where John 14, 26 comes in. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, listen to this, He will teach you all things and He will bring to your remembrance everything that I said. You see, God is guaranteeing the accurate recording of His revelation. That, that's why we can trust every single word of Scripture. And again, every single word. We can't have a lower view of Scripture than Jesus had. Listen to what he says in Matthew 5.18. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until it is all accomplished. The word there literally, it, 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 it's jot or tittle. And it's the difference. Scripture is so precise it's literally the difference between an O and a Q. What's the difference between an O and a Q? Just one little boop. What's the difference between a P and an R? Just one little teeny little line. That's what Jesus is saying. That's the illustration he uses to show you how precise, how precise the Word of God is. Down to the smallest stroke. Why? Because God himself is seeing to it that the record is accurate. Jesus himself is offering validity to the entire word of God. And again, the strongest defense that we have for the inspiration of the scriptures is, is the testimony of Christ. He testified multiple times to the validity of scripture, to the trustworthiness of scripture. Jesus himself based his arguments on the trustworthiness of scripture. Listen to what he says in Luke 24, 44. Now, Jesus said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses. He goes all the way back to the Old Testament. He says, You know who that was about? Me. And the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus is saying, Old Testament, every little part of it, over 300 prophecies. All fulfilled. You know what's one of the things that separates the Word of God from, let's say, the Koran? Zero prophecies in the Koran. Zero. 300. Over 300 in the New Testament. Why? Because the difference is this. Man is writing the Koran. God is writing the Word of God. And God knows the future. And to prove that He knows the future, He tells them the future, and then He fulfills the future. Matter of fact, that was the sign of a prophet. If the prophet in the Old Testament spoke of the future and it didn't come true, you know what they did? They killed him. Over 300 fulfilled prophecies. The, the, the likelihood of that happening, the statistical likelihood of that is, is something like 1 times 10 to the 27th power. So take 10 and put 27 zeros after it. Over 300 prophecies fulfilled. Why? Because God is writing this. And he's telling these people what's going to happen. And he's proving, he's using these fulfilled prophecies to plead and to prove, I'm telling you the truth. Even in John 10, 35, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken. That's Jesus' words himself. The scripture cannot be broken. Even the, writers, even the writers of the New Testament, they understood what they were writing with Scripture, and they understood what each other were writing with Scripture. Listen to, in 1 Timothy 
Paul writes this, For the scripture says, okay, the scripture says, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. So he quotes Deuteronomy, and he says the labor is worthy of his wages. He, he quotes Luke and gives them both the title of scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, scripture. If you were to go to 2 Peter 3.16, and I, I love this verse just because sometimes when I read Paul's writings, they're hard to understand, and Peter himself says that. He says, also in all his letters, he's talking about Paul. He says, in all his letters, speaking to them on these things in which some things are hard to understand. Amen. Anybody read Romans 9-11 through 11 lately? Hard to understand. Sometimes. But that's on us. That's on us. I want to be clear on that. We're hard to understand. God knew exactly what he was writing. Which the un Listen, which the untaught and unstable distort as they do also the rest of Scripture. So, so what are Luke, what are Paul, what are Peter saying? They understood that they were writing Scripture. They understood the import of what they were writing. They've equated Old Testament, New Testament, and what was the designation? All Scripture. Scripture. And again, the rest of Scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed. Here's the point. We can trust the Word of God down to the smallest details. It's inerrant. It's, inspired. it's, it's, it's authoritative. It's inspired. But number three, it's, it, it's inerrant. It's inerrant. And by this, you'll see on your handout, we mean that the Scriptures possess the quality of freedom for error. They are exempt from error, and listen to me, in their original manuscripts. And I'm going to build on this, so you've got to hang with me here, because this is important. And again, it, even, even within that, inerrancy, listen, inerrancy allows for variance of styles. It allows for details to be recorded in different ways. It allows for the personality of the writer to come through. Matthew is a tax collector. Other, other writers, Luke, a doctor. Their styles are very different. Iner inerrancy and inspiration allow for that. It comes through. Think about this. If, if, if me and David Betancourt, if we witnessed an accident, we witnessed an accident, and the police go to you and they say, hey, David, tell us what happened. Separately, they come to me and they say, Chris, tell us what happened. What are the likelihood that, our diff that there might be points of difference in our recollection? Yeah, David's a smart guy. I'm not so smart. David's a detailed guy. I don't do well with details. I'm just going to tell him, look, there's these two cars. And David's like, well, they traveled 32 feet. And they did, did, did. It's going to be different. It's going to be different accounts in the sense of the details. But the same thing, though, here's what happened. There was a wreck. There was a wreck. My personality is going to come out in how I tell you the story. David's personality is going to come out in how he tells the story. But yet the Holy Spirit is superintending over both of us to guarantee the facts. To guarantee what he wants written. And again, therefore, again, it, it guarantees inerrancy. Why? Because ultimately it's sourced in God. And, and ultimately... The character of God is at stake. How we view Scripture tells on how we view the character of God. Because, again, think about this. You see it on your handout. Logical track. A, start with this. God is true. Romans 3, 4 makes it very clear to us that God is true. 
Listen to what it says. May it never be, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar. God is true. Okay, so that's the starting point. The scriptures, secondly, were breathed out by God. We saw that in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed. So they were sourced in God. They came out of a God who is true. Listen, see, the logical conclusion is what? Scriptures are true. Why? Because God doesn't lie. Because God is true. He's the source. The, 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 the challenge, again, if the Bible contains errors, where are they? And who gets the authority to say where they are? The reality is this, that the Scriptures itself doesn't allow for that conclusion. They say we are true. We're true. It's not just the red letters. It's not just the New Testament. All Scripture, all Scripture is sourced in God. His character is at stake here. And how we view the Bible says a lot about how we view God. We can't say we love God and then ignore the Word. We can't say we, we're all in and then yet we just, it doesn't work that way. This is literally, is, it's about the character of God is at stake. Jesus Christ himself attested to the validity of the word. Jesus' character is at stake. And, and the Bible, again, the Bible is without error in its original manuscripts and, and God's character pr guarantees it. And I want to take us real quick, because it's key in the original manuscripts. Listen, and I don't want to lose you, but I, I think it'll, it'll help some of us. I hope that the end will help some of us. We don't have the Emmanuel, original manuscripts. But listen, we don't have the original manuscripts in a lot of works of literature. Okay? They, in the, the original copies of the Old Testament, they were written on papyrus and... and, and they, they were not, they were, um, that, that wasn't like a copy machine back then. They didn't have a Kinko's. Okay, so the originals were written down. What they would do is they would make copies. There were scribes called, they were Masoretes, and they would make copies because they knew what they were writing was the Word of God. And so they would take these papyrus uh, originals and they would make copies of them. Okay, that, that's why it's so big. In 1947, with, when we found the Dead Sea Scrolls, we found copies of the Old Testament that were dated earlier than A.D. 895. The reason for this and, and the importance of this is because when they were discovered, we had copies of the original manuscripts dating all the way back to the 1st and 2nd century B.C., Every single book of the Old Testament was included in there except Esther. What, what that tells us is we have an early, early, early check on the accuracy. So you take those, those Dead Sea Scrolls and you compare it to what we have as the Word. You say, wow, these things are exactly, exactly accurate. That's the point. We can be totally confident that what we have. And listen, these scribes, they knew what they were copying was the Word of God. And they had strict, stringent rules. For instance, without, without going too deep, just listen to some of the stats that were kept. At the end of every book, so they knew, they knew how many verses were in every book. They knew how many words were in every book. They knew how many vowels occurred in every book. 
For instance, Deuteronomy, there's 955 verses. So when a scribe turned in his work on Deuteronomy, you know what somebody's job was? Is to count the verses. If he didn't come up with 955, you know what he did? Start over. Start over. For instance, they knew that in the Torah, there were 5,845 verses. When they turned in that work, you know what they would do? They would count the verses. If it didn't match 5,845, start over, big boy. The total number of words, 97,856. Total number of letters, 400,945. First of all, I want to know whose job it was to count up to 409. That was your job, David. That wouldn't be my job. I would fail miserably at that. I mean, I'd drive my family crazy by day two at the beach. I'm done. I'm like, what are we going to do? Look, they would count when a scribe turned in their work. They would count every single one of these reference points to be sure of its accuracy. Why? Because they knew that what they were writing was the Word of God. They held the Word of God in such esteem and knew that it was important. And, and listen, that's the Old Testament. Think about the New Testament. Listen, we have over 5,000 complete copies of the New Testament alone. If you count partials, it goes up to 24,000. So we can, listen, here's what you do. You take 5,000 copies, you lay them out, and you look at them, and you can, you can have a great degree of confidence in what the original says because there's 5,000 evidences to what the original says. That's just the full copies. So, so you lay the 5,000 out, and they all say the same, well, uh, that might be what John 1, 1 says. And again, even, even when there are problem texts, and again, not to lose you, but you go to Mark 16, the Bible is so vulnerable as to say, hey, there's some original manuscripts that don't include this passage. The Bible is not trying to hide it. And listen, the beauty is this. There's not a single detail at the end of Mark 16 that's not recorded somewhere else in Scripture. That's all he's saying. He's giving a summary. Go to John 5. You'll see in John 5, 3, there's a, little, there's a little parentheses. The detail is what was going on. Why did these crazy people wait by this pool? Because they felt like when the waves rippled, they could jump in and be healed. That's all the passage says. Some of the original manuscripts didn't have that. At some point, a scribe took it upon himself to add a little color, to add a little detail. And you know what would happen when they would turn their work in? They would say, look, we're going to note that. Start over. My point is this, those are, those are a couple of passages that the world will attack the validity of the Bible on. There's, not, there's no problem there. Not a single problem. Not, not only that, listen, when you did, for all ancient works of literature, we're, we're, we're playing by the world's rules. Listen, we're, play, we're not making up our own set of rules here in Christianity to try to dupe you into believing because I need a job. That's not what we're doing. We're playing by the world's rules on how you determine the reliability of an ancient work of literature. Think, think, and I'm going to give you an example. Homer's Iliad. How many people know, have ever heard of Homer's Iliad? See, okay, very famous. I didn't read it, I can tell you this. I didn't read it, I don't care to read it. I, I lived in high school off of Cliff's Notes. But Homer's Iliad, I did not fall in love with reading until later in college, and that's to my own loss. Homer's Iliad, written in 800 B.C., okay, 800 B.C. The earliest copy 
that we have of that is 400 B.C. So 400-year gap. 400-year gap. Also, we have only 643 copies of the Iliad to try to verify what the original says. Nobody in secular in the secular literature world doubts what Homer's Iliad says. Y'all have read it. They teach it in schools. It's a matter of fact. This is the original. Off of 643 copies, of which there was a 400-year gap between the original and the first copy. Let's apply those same rules to the Bible. The New Testament alone, let's say, written between 500 and 100 A.D. conservatively. conservatively. I'm just using a conservative gap, 27 books. The earliest manuscripts we have of the New Testament, 130 A.D. You know what that means? There's a 60 to 70 year gap between the original and when copies started to circulate. 60 to 70 years versus, what was the Iliad? 400. Okay, you say, why does that matter, Chris? I'm guessing nobody lived 400 years. Methuselah died a long time ago. She ain't, they ain't around no more. So, so here's my point. Nobody could validate it. But, but you look at 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is preaching the gospel. Paul is attesting to the validity of Jesus' resurrection. You know, he says, Jesus appeared to over 500 men, many of whom are what? Alive today. Test the validity. Not a single person doubts the validity of Homer's Iliad based on 643 manuscript copies of which there's a 400-year gap between the original and the first copy. And yet, we question the Word of God where there's 5,600 plus copies of the original, a 50-year gap of which many people are alive when the copies started to circulate. If, you, if you're honest, if you apply the tests fairly and honestly, the Bible passes every secular literature test with regards to its reliability and its validity, 99.99 to affinity percent. Secular, secular rules, not made up in a seminary somewhere. Secular rules. This wasn't, this wasn't based on, again, even there's other works, and I don't want to name names, but they're just based on what these guys think they remember somebody saying. God guaranteed the accuracy of the Word of God. Why? Because it is the very Word of God. And when you read this, you can go to bed at night knowing this is what the originals said. The, the, the New Testament alone is it's the most widely verifiable ancient work of literature. Why, and you, it's almost like there's a God who made sure of that. It's almost like a God who said, you know, I'm going to reveal my word and I'm going to make sure you know it's my word. It's inerrant. Again, world standards, the Bible passes with flying colors. But not only the authority and the inspiration and the inerrancy, I want us to see the sufficiency. 2 Peter 1.3 says, Seeing that His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And if you kept on reading in that passage, it would all go back to the Word. Even here in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture God breathed. Useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. That word adequate literally means thorough. Thoroughly equipped. 
Everything we need for life and godliness, guys. Right here. Right here. And yet, what's our attitude towards this word? How many of you buy a TV and just turn it on and start fooling around and don't read the manual? Yeah, absolutely. We all do that. My, my question is how many Christians are trying to live the Christian life in the flesh instead of reading the manual? Instead of plugging into the power. First thing, first thing you ask, is it plugged in? My question to many of us believers are, are you plugged in? This is the power source. The Christian life was, was meant to be lived by God through you, not according to the flesh. So that why? So he would get the, the, the authority. I mean, he would get the honor. And everything we need goes back to the Word of God. Again, you see in 2 Timothy 3.16, the Scripture is sufficient for teaching. It's for teaching. Scripture is sufficient for that. It's doctrine. Listen, doctrine is the foundation for living. You, you go to Titus chapter 2, verse 7. Paul says that. He says, In all things show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine. Purity of doctrine. You go to Titus 1.9, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. If you don't know the word of God, you can't refute those who contradict. Why? Because you don't, have, you don't know where the baseline is. You don't know where the plumb line is. Scripture is also sufficient for reproof. The word there literally referred to rebuking sin. How do we know that Mormons or Jehovah's Witness or, or Church of Christ, how do we know these things are false doctrines? Because they don't square up with Scripture. That's the baseline. The, the very word, the very word that we use to describe Scripture, the word is canon. The word canon literally comes from the Greek word that means a straight rod or bar, a measuring rule or ruler that carpenters use. It, it literally means a rule of standard for testing straightness. And the scriptures offer that. Again, 2 Timothy, I mean 2 Corinthians 10, taking every thought kept captive. Take it back, square it up with scripture. If it doesn't meld with scripture, throw it out. If it does, keep it. Whether it's about yourself, whether it's about God, whether it's about others, take it back to Scripture. It's the measuring rod. And again, you see on your handout, Scripture shows us what is truth so that we can measure all things against it. But not only is it good for teaching and reproof, it's good for correction. The word there literally means to set right. You see it on your handout. The word sets us back on course. It's one thing to say, hey, I've deviated. It's another for the word to be able to say, okay, now let's put you back on course. And that's what scripture does. Let's bring you back to course. It not only shows us where we're wrong, it shows us how to get back right. But scripture is also sufficient for training in righteousness. And again, notice what it trains you in. Righteousness. Again, you go to Matthew 5. No one will inherit the kingdom of God, what? Unless their righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees. Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. 
righteousness, the characteristic of God's people that ought to show forth is righteousness. Why? Because our God is righteous. He's perfect. Our character ought to to model, ought to exhibit the character of our Heavenly Father. And again, the kingdom ethic, the mark of a believer, ought to be righteousness. Even in 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, he says, Be holy, for your Father is holy. He's, committing, he's, he's quoting Leviticus eleven forty four there. Purity, holiness, righteousness. That's the character of our Father. And the Word of God trains you and I. It trains us in what is righteous. Not what's cool. Not what fits with the culture. It's what's righteous. Righteous. And again, the result of studying the Word of God, the result of studying Scripture is what? Verse 17 of of 2 Timothy 3. The man of God may be equipped for every good work. This is the training. This is the schooling. Many of you are going to... Samantha's in school right now to be a teacher. You know, I talked with a, a person down at the gym that was... Studying molecular biology, I was like, dude, I'm not talking to you anymore. I don't even know what that means. You know, she tried to explain it. I said, I still don't know what that means. Training. Do, 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 you, take, do you take your walk serious? Do you, Samantha takes being a teacher serious. She's going to get trained. Hillsborough County, Pasco, whatever, they take that serious, so they're going to look for specific training we're, we're looking for a family pastor we've grilled these individuals doctrinally and we've we've the search team talked to them on video conferencing and we've done it why because we want to make sure whoever it is that comes in can train our boys and girls and parents in righteousness and they need to first be knowing how to do that themselves if they're ill-trained how are they going to train someone else and you and i if we're ill-trained that's why 2 Peter 3.15, it says, Sanctify, set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you. My question is, is the hope in us? Can we defend? Are we confident enough to engage individuals in conversations about what they believe by being able to tell them what we believe based on the authority of the Word of God? But we've got we've to be equipped. And it it takes diligence and hard work and discipline. We saw that in Timothy. Physical discipline. 1 Timothy 4.8 is only good for a season, but godliness, it says, godliness is good for all seasons. Do Do I train for the Word of God the way that I train my body? Do I train for the Word of God the way I train for a secular endeavor? I hope so. The The sufficiency. Sufficiency. But not only sufficiency, lastly, I want us to see the supremacy. God's Word, if we're going to grow, the Scriptures must have a priority in our lives. And, and I, want to show you, I want to show you all the way back into Exodus real quick. Exodus 16.4 The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, so that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. So again, for 40 years, God nourished these people how? Every single day, He would provide them manna. And you know what He was doing? He was testing them. Later on, you see Him talking about, I want to show you what's in your heart. He was testing them to reveal, will you obey me? And that's Deuteronomy chapter 8. Listen to what He says. 
Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 16. Here, here was the lesson. All the commandments that I'm commanding you today, you shall be careful to do them, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you. Listen, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Look, God knew what was in their heart. Israel didn't know what was in their heart. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand. Listen, what was he teaching them? That man does not live by bread alone, but lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. See what he's teaching them? Your sustenance, your existence, is based upon the word of God. It's, it, God is going to feed you. He was disciplining them. He was revealing to them what their hearts were really like. And he was showing them, will you obey? And 8.3 is the key. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with man, which you did not know, to make, that you might may understand that man does not live by bread alone, but by lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Ultimately, that's what God is teaching them. You live by my provision. You live by the very word that proceeds out of my mouth. Now think about that. That's exactly what Jesus quotes in Matthew 4, 4 when he's being tested in the, in the wilderness by Satan. He says, turn these stones into bread. And you know what Jesus said? Man doesn't live by bread alone. Man lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Deuteronomy 8, 3 is the verse that Jesus quoted. Again, if you, if you read Matthew 4, there are so many parallels between Jesus there in the wilderness and Israel's wonderings. And you say, well, what's the point, Chris? Who cares? You see it on your handout. We need the word of God for our sustenance more than we need food. Th that's the point he's telling them. He was painting for them a daily picture of our need for the word of God. You, you, you look at 2 Timothy 2.15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth. Can you accurately handle the word of truth? Can your kids accurately handle the word of truth? Have they hid it in their heart? Colossians 3.16, let the word of God richly dwell within you. Can you say that the word of God richly dwells within you? Richly dwells, not crumbs. Our primary responsibility as individuals, as followers of Christ, as parents is to, to make the word of God supreme. That's Deuteronomy 6. He said, put the word of God all over your houses. Everywhere you go, put the word of God. Why? Because man doesn't live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The, the reality is this. God saves us by grace through faith, but our faith is in what? It's faith in the word. We, we don't just make up a way of salvation. We, we don't just... The, the way was revealed... Romans 10, 17, faith comes what? By hearing and hearing what? The word of God. It's the word of God that shows us how to be saved. We need to know this word. We need to stick to the word. It's the word of God that, that, that says salvation, that God's way demands repentance, real repentance. Not the world's kind. 2 Corinthians 7 says there's a sorrow that leads to death, but there's a, there's a worldly sorrow that leads to death, but there's godly sorrow that leads to repentance. 
We're not talking about just feeling sorry for being a sinner. We're not talking about feeling sorry for the consequences. We're not talking about feeling sorry. Repentance is feeling sorry that we have fallen short of the glory of God. That's repentance. Repentance is purposing to turn away from that sin. God's Word presents that. God's Word has given us God's plan for how wretched sinners like you and I can be saved. And it's God's Word alone that leads to salvation. It's God's Word that says there is an infinitely holy God and you and I have sinned against Him. We have rebelled and that rebellion lies at the core of who we are. To the point where Ephesians 2.1 says that we are dead in our trespasses, that we are children of wrath. Again, not, not belittling our sin and its consequences. No, sin isn't something where we've done something wrong. Sin, sin lies in our hearts. It's at the core. We're dead. We're, we're deserving the judgment of God. And God, in His rich mercy, He crucified His Son. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made Him who knew no sin. To be sent on my behalf. I, I was reading a book this weekend, uh, this week at the beach, and I had to put it down and just remind it of just, just the depth of our own sin and the depth of God's mercy. That He would, like Daniel saying this morning, that th- the thought that a holy God would pursue me. I wasn't just kind of a sinner. The Bible says I was wretched. Dead. Deserving wrath. And you know what God offered? He offered His Son, propitiation. We're going to look at that word in a few weeks with regards to the gospel. I had a sin debt that I could never pay. You know what God did? He crucified His own Son and He paid the debt for me. Why? So that I could so that I could take His righteousness, that I could give up. That's, that's the offer that the Bible offers you. God will take your sin through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In replace of your sin, He will declare you, He will gift you righteousness. Why? Because wages of sin, Romans 6.23, is death, and God in His great mercy crucified His Son so that the wage for your sin and my sin was paid through Christ's death. And in return, if we will repent of our sin, if we will declare Him to be the rightful place He deserves and is anyway, Lord of our lives, Romans 10.9, you shall be saved. how How do we speak that with confidence? How do we speak that with authority? Because the Word of God says so. Because the Word of God says so. The debt is paid. The resurrection proves God was satisfied with Christ's offering. Whosoever, therefore, whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord would repent of their sin, would declare Christ, your Lord of my life, my allegiance is to you, shall be saved. And, and biblical salvation is you following that. I, I was reading a book and it was talking about how the priest would, would put his hand 
on the sacrifice that was being crucified. And it was a picture, a reminder that biblical Christianity is, is this. Day by day, you know where my hand is placed? My hand is placed on Jesus Christ, the sacrifice that was made for my salvation. That's biblical Christianity. Day by day. It's not a moment in time, and then I go over here, and I live how I want to live. No, biblical Christianity is this. I'm going to live with my hand on Jesus' sacrifice because that's the only source of my righteousness. It's the only source. It's not a once-in-moment time. It's not something I did on this date. No, no, no. Every single day, I'm living with my hand on the sacrifice that was made for my sin. And I pray that we would be that same church. Our tendency is to wonder. We saw that in Timothy. Our tendency is to be led astray. Keep your hand on the sacrifice that is Christ. And how do you do that? Through the Word. Through the Word richly dwelling in you. We saw that in Timothy. I write these things so that you will not be led astray. Even Ephesians 4 talks about teaching in the Word of God so that we will be mature men, not tossed around by every wind and wave and trickery of doctrine. How does that happen? Through the Word of God. Through the Word of God richly dwelling in us. God's Word is authoritative. It's inspired. It's inerrant. It's sufficient. And I pray that in all of our lives it would be supreme. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God.